or TV shows or songs with lyrics. You know, things that were created by writers. Of course you do. Do you like watching people type? I doubt it. Do you like hearing people tell you about how they came up with the things they type? Maybe. And there are lots of shows like that. But this isn't one of them. Do you ever procrastinate? Writers do too. So, if you've ever enjoyed a great book or film or TV show or song or poem, and you thought, I'll bet the woman who wrote this epic high fantasy TV series, or the guy who wrote this funny queer sci-fi novel, or the person who writes this punch-you-in-the-gut poetry would be really fun to hang out with, and I'd like to hear them confess their bad not-writing habits. You're in the right not-writing place. I'm Benjamin Gorman. And the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug, the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry, stuff like that. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. From Notify Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. Welcome, everybody. Today's secret word is going to be audio horn. There we go. Welcome, everybody, to Fan Expo Portland and our first live recording of Writers Not Writing. I'm going to try not to trip as I run up on it. Uh, so why don't we start with you guys introducing yourselves? Hello, everyone. My name is Jeff Davis. I live in Vancouver, Washington, and... Um, I, among other things, I research and write books on the paranormal. And my approach, because my degrees are in anthropology, archaeology, and history, is historical context and, and eyewitnesses. I'm not necessarily judging, is this place really haunted or not? I'm just letting you know what everybody else says. And um, I, since this is really topic-wise, what we do when we're not writing, among other things, I am lucky enough to participate in some of these reality TV shows, most particularly recently, Alaskan Killer Bigfoot, and no, I did not pick the show name. <laughs> nice. Thanks, man. Uh, my name is Derek M. Cook. I am an author. I just launched the book On the Back Burner, which is the first book in a uh, projected 10-book series of the, in the six-week rotation superhero um, world or universe, which is something that I've designed and created and been working on for a little while now. Uh, so we just launched that, but I'm also a podcaster. I've been producing the Monster Kid Radio podcast for about eight and a half years, I think. Uh, I kind of lost track. But it's a weekly show, and we just released episode 608 this past weekend. So I've been doing that for a while as well. Um, YouTube stuff coming. I'm a gamer. Got all sorts of things in the works. So there you go. Well, thank you both for being on. So as 
listeners, regular viewers know, we always dress up like this. I mean, we go full on for every episode, and now we're at a Comic-Con, makes total sense, we would go cosplay. So tell everybody about what you chose to wear, uh, who's listening, of course the YouTube viewers can see it, but for, for, for those who are uh, listening to the podcast, what did you choose to wear for your costume today? Well, my costume, I chose to dress um, like a, an out-of-work retired university professor. So I, I am here wearing my Pendleton wool sweater and uh, open V-neck, a little bit of leather here and there. The elbow patches, classic, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, and, and everybody knows that, especially the anthropology professors, if you, if you watch your 1950s sci-fi movies, you've got something going in the basement that has to do with claws, fangs, and so on. Right. So that, that is me. you have an interocitor in the basement somewhere they're working? I can neither confirm nor, I can neither confirm nor deny that. There you go. <laughs> and how about you? How'd you uh, come up with this? Yeah, so I, I flat out decided to go cosplay as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, because my new novel is a superhero novel, we're at a comic convention. Wanted to go all out with that. So uh, there's a character in my novel named Revenant. He is a cursed Egyptologist. So, you know, it might not look like I'm dressed up like a superhero, but when this character got cursed and everything happened to him, he was wearing his work clothes. So cotton trousers, Norfolk jacket, and uh, this, this guy... Uh, is my uh, Kopesh sword, which is uh, what he wields when he has to deal with the bad guys. Very cool. Uh, and I went. I, I decided to go, um, you know, really obscure. So, uh, you know, any of you Tick fans, some folks know the Tick. Uh, and uh, I went with the uh, the. If you know your Tick, if you go all the way back to issue number two. There is a supervillain. So I'm going deep cut here. And there's a supervillain, Chairface Chippendale. Chairface Chippendale is wearing this, you know, nice. Vest and, and, and slacks and white shirt and has no human head. And so that was a real challenge. How was I going to pull that off in cosplay? So I had to go to Ikea and build this chair instead of a head. So just imagine that I don't have a head here as, we, uh, as we're recording. But uh, yes, that's uh, the chair face Chippendale from Tick Issue 2, uh, who then tries to carve his name in the moon but only gets the CH. It's a disaster. Check out the comic. Ben Edlund's great, great uh, comic. So this is a show about how we procrastinate, what we're doing when we're not writing. So uh, this last week, what has been uh, something fun you've been up to when you didn't, you know, that was pulling you away from your work? Oh, I, I was so busy that I forgot to pick up the microphone and answer your question. <laughs> no, I, uh, okay. Uh, I am waiting for, I had some medical issues. As soon as that finishes up, I am going to unpack all the tools for my uh, for my knife making endeavors. Oh, that's cool. If anyone ever saw the TV show Forged in Fire, yeah. uh, the popularity of the show, what that's actually done is manufacturers are making things like propane forges in greater numbers, so the price has actually gone down. Uh, you can outfit a um, like a beginner's Ford set, if you already have the building, for about $1,000. So how long have you been doing that? Well, my, my interest in metalworking in junior high, we had shop class. I, I know that's shop class in junior high and high school. doesn't happen. Junior high, we've got one in our high school, but junior high, no way. They wouldn't let middle schoolers anywhere near that stuff now for liability reasons. Yeah, and my instructor, uh, if I can say Mr. Reader, um, 
He said, sure, go ahead. He gave me some uh, some wrought iron. And the legal I, name was Mr. Reader. Yeah. How perfect. Now you're an author and actually made yeah. knives. Like, yeah. Mr. Reader did well. Yeah, and he, he let me actually fire up the forge, and I found it out. I still have my little knife. And uh, But my archaeology work included metallurgy, archaeological metalworking, and so I will probably do that. That is very cool. How about you? I'm planning a wedding. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Uh, my fiance and I are getting married in April. Congratulations. That's up cool. In, thank you. Uh, up until recently, Condolences. we did not have a location secure. So uh, we, we've been dealing with that and uh, dealing with people saying they want us to do the wedding there. And when we ask for a price, well, you should come out and check the place out first. It's like, I appreciate that. But the place that I was looking at was a movie theater. And I know what a movie theater looks like. I've been to your movie theater, so I what's there, just give me a number. Uh, it was frustrating, uh, but we finally got a place landed. Uh, it's going to be happening in one of my favorite, it is a movie theater, but one of my favorite movie theaters in Oregon, uh, and I, I can't wait for that. But it's a lot of work, you know, to get ready for that. My fiance's doing a lot of it. Uh, her family's helping out, but yeah, that's, that's what I'm planning right now is uh, an April wedding. So that's what's been taking up most of my time. When I'm not doing the day job that I'd like to not think about. So. Yes, I am in a similar boat. I'm going to steal notes from you because I'm getting married summer of 2024. Congratulations. we have not figured out a place. I mean, the same thing. How, where are we going to do this thing? And so trying to find a place we can afford. and that can, We actually got to the point at one point in the conversations where we were thinking, we could do three weddings. Like, we could have one in Cleveland with my family and one in the Bay Area and one... This is insanity. We are going to have one service. If people can make it, they can make it. And now we've got to figure out where that place is. So. What we're doing is uh, we're going to set up a live stream somewhere because we do have people oh. that are not going to be able to make it. We That's know this ahead idea. of time. So we're going to try to set up a live stream. If it's not a live stream, we're going to record it and put it on YouTube or something because we do have family members who will not be able to travel yeah. for Know, COVID reasons or, or any other, you know, it's, it's expensive. Oh, and yeah. we did kind of pop it on them. It's in less than two months and we finally got a place lined up. So uh, that, that is one thing we're going to do is set up that as an option for some folks. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, are either of you are either of you local to the Portland, Vancouver area? I'm outside of, I'm in Independence, which is outside of Salem. Okay. Vancouver. Well, the reason I ask, uh, and I know you've got your place already set up, but my wedding reception was at a place called the Covington House. Oh, okay. And uh, it is the oldest building in Vancouver, dating to the 1840s. Oh, that's cool. And um, I think I think it's like $250 for the day. I really like that price, because let me tell you, some of the places, uh -huh. the prices are obscene. Yeah. Uh -huh. it's, uh, it's, it's a log cabin, dating to the 1840s. It's been moved to its current location, but is, yeah. Yeah, that is very cool. So, when we're not planning weddings, <laughs> What about in the news? What has been grabbing your attention in the news this week that's been pulling you away from your work? Um, okay. yeah, you, you I'll go this one. Okay. I don't watch the news. Ah, yeah, that might be wise. So I'm a geek. I'm a nerd. I'm into all sorts of nerdy type stuff. And uh, yeah, I do watch some news YouTube channels and things like that, like Bill DeFranco or whatever. But the thing that's been really catching my attention in, in the world of pop culture news and geek news is this disaster of a way that Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast handled yes. all their open game license and nonsense. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm an old school Dungeons and Dragons player. And my creative writing teacher taught me in high school, even though I made me promise never to tell anybody that because it would get them in a lot of trouble. Because Satanic Panic, Satanic Panic was real in 1980. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember um, the 1990s. But uh, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons forever, and I've been a gamer just for so long, and it, it, it's influenced my writing. Right. Oh yeah. But um, Wizards of the Coast is the publisher of. Dungeons and Dragons, and they have this amazing thing called the Open Game License that they introduced during their third edition of the game, which allowed independent publishers to create quote-unquote official material that was compatible with Dungeons and Dragons, and it allowed a lot of companies to and creators to make a living designing gaming material. When they released their fourth edition, they changed things a little bit, fourth edition had some issues, they did bring the Open Game License back with fifth edition, and now that they're updating to a new edition, they're calling 1D&D. Um, there was a leak <laughs> uh, that they claimed was a draft, but I don't believe them, uh, that basically would have put the kibosh on most of that. Oh my gosh, it would have been a disaster. It was a mess, and it really would have ruined a lot of creators' careers. Yeah. Uh, and I know that when they went from 3rd edition to 4th edition, it did create some alternative role-playing game companies like Paizo Publishing and all that, and I think they're terrified of that happening again. Um, because it does kind of get our market share. Sure, but I, my understanding is this is, you know, some of this is supposition on my part. This was, an attorney said, you realize you could make a lot more money if you shut everyone out of the business. You know, it's that. They had a draft, and yeah. then they didn't think through the ramifications. And so this would have made it so that if you had a company that made dice, yeah. you were nervous. If you had a company that, uh, you know, recorded a podcast, there was a D&D podcast, you were nervous. YouTube. Uh, Amazon and uh, YouTube and some of those, well, like even Amazon and, and Netflix pulled back on funding for things, projects in the future, because they were going, well, we just don't know. And so it scared, even though it wasn't official, it scared a lot of people in the industry who just went, no way, we're out of this. This is this is dangerous. And so, yeah, people lost their jobs. Well, it was really scary. Well, it was handled really poorly. Wizards of the Coast is owned by Hasbro. And Hasbro did not do well during the Christmas season. They, they had to lay a bunch of people off afterwards because they did not sell what they needed to sell. Uh, but Wizards of the Coast, for a long time, especially through the pandemic, was the one part of Hasbro that made money for them. It just became huge. And I think they got... Kind of greedy, and greedy. like, if greedy. we can make that much money on this, let's see how we can monetize the rest of it. And then they bring in people who work for gaming companies, and yeah, who aren't gamers. There are people that do mobile gaming that everything is monetized on, and yeah, it's a mess. So what, I hear, what I hear you saying is that a multinational corporation doesn't care. Right. It got a little greedy. Yes. Can you believe a corporation got a little greedy? No. Yeah. No. And didn't think th things through. I mean, we've never had a corporation not think through the long-term ramifications of their choices before. So this is really shocking. In that you way. know, on, on the one hand, it's it's a company. They've got to make money. They've right. got to protect their property. They've right. got to produce profits for their shareholders. So I get that. But I think what it really did, and this is my takeaway as an independent creator myself who does want to dabble in doing some gaming material down the line and will later this year, it, it kind of shows that like podcasters as well or YouTubers or even writers, not to put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Um, because if you put everything on the fact that you can do an open game game and be successful at it, chances are not that that's not going to happen because Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro can at any time change the rules. Now, they put their open game license into the Creative Commons, so it's out of their hands now for this edition. Right. 
I do not trust for a minute that their approach to, oh, the new edition's gonna be backwards and compatible, is going to stay the same after this debacle. And I'm 100% sure we're not gonna hear the backwards compatible talk anymore because of what happened. Well, I wonder if the fact that there's a new film coming out made them say, oh, in order to get the Hasbro licensing deal, we don't want to be competing, and this other open license may interfere with that, and we don't want Sony to then, I think it's Sony who's doing the film, to say, then, you know, we, we want to merch, because anybody can make D&D &D stuff, and it'll cut into the merch market department, and so they went, okay, well, let's lock it all down. You know, you say that, but I also wonder if the studios involved might have pressured them to fix things the way they did, because... People were canceling their D&D Beyond account, and right. it, it really hurt them financially, yeah. despite them saying, well, it didn't really have, no, you lost a ton of money doing this. And I'm wondering if the studios are like, dude, we're about to put millions of dollars into marketing this movie for you. What are you doing? You're making your core audience angry yeah. at the worst time. Well, I, I struggle with this myself. I, one of my novels is Corporate High School. The, the working title was Walmart High School, and it came about when <laughs> Walmart announced that they were getting into the charter school movement. Sitting around with a bunch of other educator union activist, you know, um, folks, and we were all talking about that. We were going, "What would a Walmart school look like?" And it, at first, we were laughing, you know, worst education every day. And then we went, "Oh, that no, this is really terrifying." And so that's where this dystopia came from. And then I was talking to a, a woman who'd actually been an attorney for Walmart, and she said, "You can totally do this. Your titles are you can't copyright a title." You can, you know, put this out here. Walmart will sue you. They will keep that in court for 30 years. Uh, they will bankrupt you in legal expenses, and you will eventually win. And the book will be put out there, uh, but 30 years from now. So decide. <laughs> you know, do you want to go to war with Walmart? And I went, no, okay, we'll call it corporate high school. So sometimes these, you know, these firms, they've got an army of lawyers, and they can just tie you up. And I wonder if this was a case where... There were, you know, too many hands in the kitchen, and nobody said this is really bad for the, our core audience. This might be, this might look good on paper, but this is a really bad idea. That, that's been their stance now. They've got the executive director of Dungeons and Dragons doing the rounds, hitting all the YouTube channels and interviews and all that. And he's he's pretty much said we didn't have enough of us, the designers and gamers, in the room when these decisions were being made. Now I'm sure the guy was prepped. For months, or maybe at least weeks. Well, but that for, was for part the, the problem was it was yeah. too late. Like, yeah. they took this way point. too long to respond. And now they've kind of overcorrected with some of the stuff they put into the Creative Commons. And I, I, I don't think they were paying enough attention there either, because now things that were never open game seeped into the Creative Commons license, like Strahd from Ravenloft. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a trademark that they own, but that name is now in the open game. Oh, it's Beholders are now mentioned as yeah. in the opening game. Now the stats are not, but you can now create third-party material referencing Strahd, referencing the old. I'm waiting for the glut of Strahd's memoirs to come out, you know, or, or magic items or whatever, based on the holders or whatever. Just, and shoot, I should be writing this stuff. I know, I'm not trying to read, it is, it's hard to even think about writing fantasy and saying, I need to stay away from all the things I've ever right. come across in D&D. Right. Like, yeah. Well, at one point, in like one version of it's like we own elves and orcs, and it's like no, 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 we yeah, don't. You can't own elves. No, no, that's slavery, and it's wrong. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I, I, uh, I didn't think what was actually happening on my end 
it, it really news as big as, as what you're talking about, but when you're thinking about this in entertainment especially, uh, right now, if anybody does watch any of these uh, Travel Channel shows, Discovery Channel shows, you notice there aren't any new episodes. And some of that is because uh, Discovery Channel is doing some kind of a discussion of merge oh. with some elements of other TV Is that stations. HBO? Are they the, um, who they're subsidiary of? It uh, and, and thereby hangs, uh, you know, this internals. Yeah. And so, uh, in particular, let me, Alaska Killer Bigfoot, right? Um, but the paranormal TV shows in in that, like the Dead Files, a lot of these that are airing on the Travel Channel. What's happening is, uh, because of the waiting on the merger and the financials, last year was a bad year for these entertainment shows as well. Uh, they're like seeking financial retrenchment, i.e. not spending any money. Yeah. And they're also looking at these mergers, which means not spending any money. And so um, a lot of shows that would usually get renewed by now and they'd be announcing it aren't. And internally, um, uh, Alaskan Killer Bigfoot, season one, eight episodes. You know, it's a, a trial season. Right. The, the fan site for Alaskan Killer Bigfoot, just now I think they've passed 16 or 17,000 fans on Facebook. For a show that only has eight episodes, right? And the IMDb rating is very, very high. Uh, behind the scenes, I, I worked and volunteered doing some promotional work and setting up podcasts. I don't know how we missed you. I know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, that that would have been. I, I would have been taking away from it. like we're not looking for Bigfoot right now. We're talking about how we procrastinate from the task of finding yeah. Bigfoot. So that would have been. I don't know if that would have helped. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, as far as the rest of the year, we were setting up podcasts. And the metrics that uh, uh, IMDB does to, uh, to to say this is successful, this is not, they don't actually release oh, yeah. what the metrics are, but you get an idea. Right. Anyway, uh, that show numbers actually pass uh, six, and, and six out of 10, and that's actually considered tremendously yeah. successful. Oh yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a hit. And, uh, and yet, and there we are. Maybe maybe I'll flash this as this is partly why I'm procrastinating and not right, right. Everyone sounds like a lot of people on that show right now are twiddling their thumbs, waiting, waiting. Yeah. Are we going to have a second season? Yeah. yeah. And so I did want to bring this up because if people are watching this for a reason. This is kind of this is associated with it. So I thank you for mm -hmm. talking about D and D. It's like this is partly why this stuff isn't happening. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Well, and then you were talking about how those metrics, you know, IMDb doesn't release the metrics. This is something we run into as authors all the time. Uh, I, I almost no one, no one watching this show knows what the formula is that Amazon uses to come up with its ratings, uh, its numbers. And that is a real challenge. Uh, you know, the, the, the system by which they determine the algorithm, what's going to be advertised. And that's intentional on their part because they don't want it to be gamed. As soon as anybody finds out, oh, this is how you boost your, you know, the, your likelihood of being viewed. If is it you need to, you know, fill a warehouse the day before your book comes out with a bunch of your books. People did that. That was how a lot of folks, you know, said, oh, look, I'm an instant bestseller. Yeah, because you filled a warehouse because they figured out that was a way to do it. So they're constantly changing that algorithm, but it creates this mystery where. We don't know when, you know, and so many people actually come to me, when does it help you most for me to buy your book? 
no one knows. Is it the day after the launch date? Is it pre-order? Uh, and so we're all at the, you know, uh, living, you know, in, in terror of the giant corporations which get to decide our fate. And there's just, that's just one of those things as a writer that's outside of your control. So. Yeah, I, I would suggest, I'll hand you the mic in a minute. No, 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 no. But fascinating. Yeah, if, if anyone does like a particular show that's on, and, and yeah, I, I'm talking mostly if that kind of entertainment instead of books, sending messages or emails to the studio website saying, I really like this, statistically, those really don't count. You need to actually go to where the studios pay attention. That's why I keep on harping IMDb. And you need to actually do ratings with written comments if you like a show. And you know what? If you don't like a show, too. I mean, yeah. I like it, I don't like it. And, and that's the beginning. Even though how they, how they, you know, how they roll this stuff up and, and put, it in a, put it in a container and shake the container and see what breaks and comes out. Well, and that, that's true for us. I mean, it, it, you know, as authors as well, you know, even if you don't like Amazon as a company and the way that they behave and the way that they treat their writers and some of their deals are, I think, clearly should be illegal and monopolistic practices, it matters. Like, if you get, you know, the ratings there, and so if you want to support an author that you like, the Amazon rating and Goodreads, Goodreads, owned by Amazon, uh, those make a huge difference to writers, even if you bought it somewhere else. Um, yes, by all means, if you bought it at Powell's here in Portland, rated on Powell's, that's wonderful. And also copy and paste that to Amazon. That'd be very nice to that author. <laughs> it makes a big difference. So, so, but we're, we're almost into writing process, which is forbidden territory. We don't do that on this show. Uh, we got into market. This week's ad is for ads, more specifically advertisers, even more specifically people who want to advertise something on our show. Are you an author struggling to let readers know about your book? Do you have a product that would appeal to the kind of person who also likes to listen to writers talk about procrastinating? Do you like ads filled with questions? No? Well, then give us a better one by going to the homepage for this show and clicking the link on the bottom about advertising here. We're now on our 11th episode. We have over 500 downloads. That's not a lot, but the graphs are going in the right direction and our rates are very low. So why the heck not? Uh, uh, getting away from marketing, when you've been daydreaming this last week, what has been, or not necessarily this last week, but what have you been daydreaming about that's either getting you away from your writing or sometimes potentially leading you on a path that could be towards some future writing? So what daydreaming have you been up to? Um, well, it, it's all writing related. This is the right. more create. I'm a creator. I can't turn it off. Right. I, you know. I'm, right. And I'm always picking up new things. You know, whether it's podcasting or YouTube or Twitch streaming or whatever. Uh, one thing that I'm going to be doing with my superhero universe that I'm launching with this book is that we're going to be doing some non-novel storytelling. I, I don't want to call it metafiction. That kind of implies certain things, but. Um, the book is going to be a 10 book series, but later this year, after the wedding, <laughs> right. uh, we're going to be launching at least a six episode live play role play game oh, cool. on Twitch in this universe using uh, a version of the old TSR Marvel superheroes role playing game. Yeah. Cool. Because that's what I, I mean, I, that was my first role playing game. It's a good system. System. It's a great system. Uh, there's a retro clone of it out there now that is part of the open game license. So we're going to use that. More than likely, there's 
but anyway, but yeah, I've been daydreaming about that and the kind of games I'm going to run for that. I'm a DM, GM, judge, animator, game master, whatever you want to, crypt master, I, I don't know, whatever. Uh, but I run all the games, so I've been daydreaming about all that stuff. And then apparently these words started falling out of my mouth yesterday or the day before that I'm going to do an audio drama set in this world as well. So I'm, you know, I'm voicing yeah. that and willing that into existence. Yes, exactly. Uh, um, but you're like, you know, you're talking audio drama with other voice cast actors. Yeah, full cast. Yeah, full uh, cast. I, I love audio, I listen to podcasts all the time. Yep. I love audio dramas. And I've, I've done some voice acting for some of them, uh, like Eric Busby's Myron stuff. And things like that, uh, darker projects, and you know, Julie McGowan's 19 Nocturne Boulevard uh, over the years. It's been a long time since I've done actually voice acting. I'm really more of a, I want to control it, I want to control right, free, right. I want to edit my stuff. Uh, so I'm going to write an audio drama set in this world, probably with the characters that were not planned to be in the novel, because to me, the big part of the reason why I'm doing this whole comic superhero novel thing anyway is because I want to create this superhero universe right. that, that feels full. And yeah. lived in, and I'll talk more about that on my superhero prose presentation at two o'clock. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's what I'm daydreaming about: is yeah. the gaming and the future stories that uh, I haven't really counted on until, like I said, the words kind of fell out of my mouth. It's like, oh, I guess I am doing that. So yeah. So. How are you? What have you been daydreaming about? That's cool. Um, a couple things, but. I, I do have some friends who've done voice work. Nice. Um, if, if you actually launched into porn, I have a couple friends who who do audio books of naughtiness. Really? I do. So it's audio like audio erotica? <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> yes. I um I used to edit uh, freelance for a guy who was writing erotic fantasy. You can only listen to elves and nymphs getting that excited for that long before <laughs> you realize there's no amount of money that will pay you to be sane. Yeah, I can't, I can't get this out of my brain. I will have you know, I never voiced any of that. <laughs> <laughs> so you say, no one will know. Yeah. No. Hey. You've done that before? Uh, I've been a vo I've voice acting for um, erotic... That's awesome. Yeah, the, start, <laughs> That's so great. the start of my career, sadly, in voice acting started out. Sadly, as, uh, there's no shame in that. I, I'm not shaming it. It's, it's yep. not for me, but you know, if you're. If, and if Tommy, you get paid and Tommy how to get loud, good. And work is work. Work is yeah. work. It did pay. So yeah. there you go. It's That's like working your awesome. vocal cords. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. Me, 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 me. That's, so great. <laughs> That's awesome, though. Thank you for sharing. Okay. <laughs> um, actually, I, I kind of waver a, a couple times I, on a couple things. Uh, because my background in, in, in archaeology, I've been toying with the idea of actually doing replica bronze casting and, and silver casting, yeah. And I also, it's, it's so funny, I get a lot of satisfaction but no money from doing history work. And uh, I am a member of a military history, uh, 501c3, the Vancouver Barracks Military Association, vbma.us. And uh, we, put on, uh, we put on talks and, and events uh, in the Vancouver, Washington area. So, so over the course of this week, I am mentally going through my dad's 8mm home movies from the 60s oh, and 70s. Yeah. Oh. He was stationed at the Vancouver Barracks. After he passed on, I digitized all of his video, and I'm mentally trying to figure out what am I going to cut to do as a presentation. Yeah, that will be cool. Yeah, and so, it's, of course, that's something you do in your mind. I've got 
they're all they're all these three inch rolls, right, of reels of film, which are four minutes long, and some of them are actually taped together. So I, I've got to review them before I can cut. That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. Interspersed, interspersed with pictures of me at the age of one in, in like a little wading pool, pushing down and letting the water run out. You can see me. Like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> yes, Archimedes. <laughs> how, 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 how's this bathtub function? How's, yeah. Eureka! Yes. That's um, awesome. Yeah. I had an interesting one this last week. I was listening to a podcast about a story that we've all heard and heard incorrectly. How many of you have heard that story that the guy who invented the Segway drove off a cliff and died while riding a Segway, right? We've all heard this urban legend. Apparently it is inaccurate. It's close enough to true that it is the story it was spread all over the place. The inventor of the Segway did not drive off a cliff and die while you know, riding a Segway. What actually happened is the guy who invented the Segway uh, overhyped it like crazy uh, and it wasn't all his fault. He was really, really concerned that another company would come in and steal the tech. And so he created all this mystery by trying to protect his technology. And then people went nuts going, what is this thing that's going to come out? And they were saying, this is going to revolutionize everything. You're going to have to change the way you build cities because everybody's going to be using this thing, but nobody knows what it is. And people got very, very excited. And so uh, he got a ton of investors and he spent a ton of money. And when he had to actually release the product, the price point then was $8,000. And people went $8,000 for something most people can do just fine without your $8,000 device. And it did not work. Meanwhile, a guy who lived you know, less than 200 miles away uh, in England in a small town where the city was eroding into the sea uh, owned a sand company. And he invented a better way to bag sand so that instead of you know 10 soldiers taking an entire day to build a couple of sandbags, this was, uh, or build a wall. Now you could have two people build a wall in a day, uh, in, in a matter of hours. Well, he was doing this in order to preserve his small town in England, but that ended up being really handy in Afghanistan when you need to protect a barracks from an explosion. Uh, he ended up making millions and millions and millions of dollars and just had FU money. Like he was like, whatever, I can buy whatever I want. Uh, spent a lot of it employing the people of his town who had been his previous co-workers when he'd been a coal miner and that industry had gone out apparently was just a lovely man uh you know really did a lot for his community but he also was this guy who was a previous you know a coal miner who suddenly was incredibly rich so he was to some extent you know when he wasn't taking care of his community he was throwing his money around on things and went oh a segway company okay why not i'll buy the segway company bought the Segway company, was on his off-road Segway, somebody was walking their dog, and he was the one who fell off the cliff. And so we, we hear this story with this kind of schoidenfrada of ha ha ha, but there's actually a kind of interesting story underneath of a guy who came up with something that turned out to be really, really useful. It was the bags of sand, not the Segway. And so I've been thinking about this, I was on a panel about tech uh, in science fiction, and so I've been thinking about what are those things that we can't imagine currently that will be incredibly useful, but because they haven't been invented yet, we can't think of the need, versus those things in science fiction where we think, well, I can already imagine how this thing could be better. So how will our lives be changed by the thing that we, we just can't comprehend yet? So that's got me thinking about, you know, and of course, if I were a futurist, if I could invent that product, I wouldn't be a science fiction author, I would be an investor or a billionaire, right? I'm just kind of thinking for the sake of story, like what would be that tech that 
hasn't come out yet because it seems so mundane. It's just a you know a better way to bag sand, and it can change people's lives. Make sure that you add a Chinese spy balloon to this story. Right, right. Again, yeah, I mean, but that's actually a really good example. We we think of spy tech, we don't think balloons, right? Oh, it's it's, it's the Hindenburg, right? But it's, that somebody thought of it. Somebody went, actually, this is really practical. We can collect a lot of information from the air, not with a satellite. This is far less expensive. Uh, let's just throw some balloons up there. They'll cause all kinds of yeah. chaos. It'll scare people like crazy. And it's just a balloon. You know, was, I bet you that thing cost a lot less than you know a spy plane. It was actually a Japanese in World War II. Who started balloon yeah, aerial reconnaissance? Uh, no, actually, it was a, a whole plan to set the Pacific Northwest forests on fire. Oh, I did. I have heard yeah. of that. Yeah. The, yeah. the book series is called Silent Siege. And they were they had ships with all these hydrogen-filled balloons and incendiary baskets. And uh, they understood the air currents. Right. And so, they yeah, they sent them aloft. And they found the remains of some in, like, the Great Lakes area. Wow. But uh, only... Didn't do it to the forest, but it killed one family, parts of one family that were on a post-church Sunday outing. Wow. It was stuck in a tree, and they started trying to pick at it, and they said, oh. Wow. Uh, there, there are gun batteries you can see along the Pacific coast that were, you know, let's shoot these things down, or let's shoot at the ships if they come yeah. close enough. Have you ever visited any of those? It's oh, yeah. wild. Fort Stevens. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so where can folks find you to find your work? Uh, Other than coming to Fan Expo, you know, going to our author alley. And do not drive to my house, as happened to me Yes, once. yes. Find you online, not find you in person. That would be creepy. My new website, I'm transitioning to a WordPress website. I, this is, the, this is for me, the great thing about coming to this is getting ideas from you people who are more successful and smarter than me. My new website is, is all spelled out one word, jeffdavisghostguy.com. And uh, my old website is ghostsandcritters.com, and you can see 20 years of clunky, clunky old code. Well, when you get the new WordPress site up, you just link to the old one as a sub page. It'll all still be there. Yeah. So that's Jeff the, Davis Ghost Guy. And that's how you can find me. Yeah. You can find me at Jeff's house. Yeah. No, I guess it's 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Uh, I've got a couple of different websites for my writing, though, specifically. Uh, my main writing site is monsterkidwriter.com. You can find all of my writing stuff there and just in general, because I write more than just the superhero stuff. If you're interested in the new superhero series, sixweekrotation.com is where you're going to want to go for that. And that's the number six uh, week rotation. Uh, so you can find me there for the uh, Solemn Judgment series the upcoming Nixon Protocol series, and the Professional series, and then the Magical Book 10 that doesn't have a name yet, but it's gonna be a big crossover, it's gonna be awesome. Uh, and if you're interested in hearing me talk about, well, classic monster movies, I have a podcast at Monster Kid Radio at monsterkidradio.net. Uh, you can find that podcast on iTunes. Is iTunes still a thing? I, everywhere. Oh yeah, um, iTunes is still the thing for podcasts. I'm surprised to learn that myself. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> You, Many of you are listening to this on iTunes right now. You can find Monster Kid Radio on all the podcast platforms, but if you can't, go to monsterkidradio.net, or we even put our episodes on YouTube. It's an audio show, but you can still watch them on YouTube as well, so that's there as well. Yeah, excellent. So, as our sign-off, I've struggled to figure out what is the best sign-off for the show. So, we are going to give you 
four pieces of advice for this week. So each of you, what is your piece of either writer or procrastinator advice for the, the uh, viewers? Yeah. No pressure. No pressure at all. Yeah, this wasn't in the synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. true. What, what kind of procrastination were you doing? Um, <laughs> my, my best advice is, um, especially to people who want to be writers, is everybody has writer's block. Don't feel guilty about it. And um, it's a painful process, all elements of it, but I would not do anything different, so stick with it. Okay, so uh, maybe you can consider this procrastination because it's something you're doing when you're not writing, but it will help your writing. Read everything. Um, yes, I've got a superhero novel, and I read a lot of superhero fiction. But like I was saying in a panel with you the other day, Ben, one of my absolute favorite things to read is pulpy westerns. Yeah. I love a good western, uh, and I love that stuff so much. I haven't written one yet, but you know, I, I take lessons from everything that I read. I can't help but absorb tips and tricks and how characterization works and pacing and all this other stuff from everything, fiction and non-fiction. Don't just stick to your genre or your lane. Read everything. There's so many great stories and great things to learn out there between the pages of so many books. And our last two, uh, in writing as in life, the spaces between the words are essential for it to have meaning. So take some space. And then the last thing is, no matter how much you procrastinate, we're still proud of you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you all. And that was it. My time.